Real Fun DC. So good you'll eat it up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. Um, I want to thank you all for joining me here on Real Fun DC, Tuesdays at 7 p.m., but of course you can download it and subscribe. I do hope you follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I hope you're tuning in to Foodie and the Beast every Sunday on 1500, uh, or of course, on the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that talks about every food, wine, and hospitality event happening in the DC metro area, and thanks to COVID and beyond. Uh, so I want to get into today's show. Um, it's been a little crazy, uh, especially since we were last together. Um, I've actually been in Tucson taking my daughter Tess to the University of Arizona. And just as it's hot and humid here, it is hot there. And I know it's dry heat, but hot is hot people and it is just hot. Um, and aside from shopping in every big box store in a 20 mile radius to fill Tessa's apartment with everything she could possibly want and need, uh, we did stop for some breakfast, lunch, and dinner along the way. And I want to point out some fun spaces. So the Italian hotspot Vivace deserves every bit of praise it's getting. It is hard to attain a reservation and there is totally a reason for it. Augustine Kitchen at the Mercado. We sat outside in the plaza. There was so much activity. There was like bands playing and fun retail shops and other restaurants. It was really loving, di lovely dining, uh, a little bit of a French accent. It's a definite go back to. We also went to this place called Culinary Dropouts, which I was not hot to go to because I thought the name was stupid. But we went there for lunch. Tess has already been back there twice. It is a massive, massive space. It looks like it's enclosed, but it isn't. The entire space is surrounded with netting and there are tremendous fans spritzing you so you don't get hot in there. Um, there's pool and a ping pong table, and it's just lots of fun. It's a really lively area, um, massive burgers, massive hangover food. I'm pretty sure that's why Tess has been there multiple times since we've been there, but it was a great space. Um, so we're launching something new on the listareyouonit.com called Where We've Been. We're going to be doing that in September. So with every trip that we go on, we'll be writing up all the places we've been to so you can use it as your own personal itinerary. Now, locally, I haven't been out and about as much as I'd like to because I haven't been here, but I do want to throw a bone to my good friend, J.P. Sabate, who just opened up Jane Jane. Um, I was there last night. It's a darling little cocktail bar in the Liz building on 14th Street. Now, I'm not typically a cocktail person. I like my wine and my bubbles, but I did order a gin gimlet and it was tart and limey and yummy and so delicious. There is a terrific snack menu. It's everything that you want while you're sipping on cocktails, nuts, olives, pimento cheese spread and crackers, chips and onion dip, just perfect little snackies while you're going at your cocktails, which quite frankly, go down really easy. Um, while there, take a look at the design. It's really fun and different and very pretty. And pro tip, check out the washrooms. They are um, pretty funny and uh, worth looking at. Okay, so on to the show. Uh, Amanda McClements and I have known each other for over 
over 15 years, it has to be over 15 years. When we met, she was a reporter at Brocall. She was doing their food coverage. Um, she did go out on her own and launched the well-applauded and well-read blog, Metricurian. Um, she covered the DC food and wine scene, but she also wrote for a variety of publications, including Food and Wine and the Washington Post. And then 10 years ago, she decided to make a life change. Girl got into retail and launched the lifestyle shop we all know is Salt and Sundry. Um, Amanda has always been well known pre her Salt and Sundry days for her easy boho style and an incredible de design aesthetic. Um, and now with her multiple stores, it's available to everyone. Her stores are listed on every must shop list, not just locally, but nationally. Um, and she's also the woman behind Little Leaf. Uh, Amanda was really on the forefront of the plants equal life revolution. And I can attest to that because my house is now filled with plants, um, which I did not have before. Uh, and Amanda and I are gonna catch up on local retail or really all retail during the pandemic, the last 18 months and how local retail not just survives, but thrives. Um, and especially since she has a new pop-up, Salt and Sundry in Bethesda, we're gonna talk about that as well. But first, as I do every other week, I've got Kathy Hellinger back with me from the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. Hello, my darling, how are you? I am so good and so happy to be able to connect with you. I feel like it's been a long time. It has. It does feel like it's a long time, but it is. But it hasn't. <laughs> so, Kat, let's talk first about what's going on these days with the industry. Last time you were on, uh, mask man mandates were being instituted. Uh, it was already in D.C. Montgomery County was clamping on board. Virginia, there's no mandates, right? Virginia, there is no required mandate. I think in you know certain government agencies, schools, counties, mm -hmm. but not the way that it is in DC and Montgomery County. And what is it like, just to clarify, what are the current rules for DC and Montgomery County? So everybody understands when they go out what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, really what they reinstituted for indoor dining is that you are masked if you are not actively eating and or drinking. So when you get up and you go to the restroom, you put your mask back on. But when you're at your table, you can unmask uh, to eat and to drink. The biggest difference really is that at the time that we had mask mandates before as we were reopening for indoor dining, no bars were open. So there was no bar seating, there was no standing room. It was, none of that was allowed. What it really is today is that you can do what you want to do in a protected manner. And you can go out, you can go to the bar, you can grab a drink, you can eat, but you have to have a mask on if you are not actively eating or drinking. Right. I, I mean, I think it makes sense. It's, it's, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy to do and to remember. And, you know, especially if you're with friends and you're drinking and you're eating, it's, it's, it's hard to remember what you need to be doing to stay safe and to keep others safe. I agree. I think that it's very hard to go back to uh, knowing that there was so much thought that had to be put in from an operator 
or a small business owner to protect and consider at the time. So we were constantly thinking about moving forward and to take a step back means to remind ourselves of everything that we need to do all over again. Right. The good news is this, a lot of our restaurants, um, they had kept a lot of things in place. So they were taking slight steps backwards versus gigantic steps backwards. So. I'm, you know, I always say this on your show. I remain hopeful. I do think that we're still in a better position than we were a year ago. Mm -hmm. While, you know, the national narrative may be different in our region, people are for the most part playing a role and playing the right role to be able to get through this. No, I think, and we've discussed this almost every time we're together, but we're very lucky we live where we live and people are on the same page, um, mostly, not entirely, there are jerks out there, obviously. Uh, but it, it does, I think it makes me feel more comfortable, you know, compared to like Arizona, where, you know, it's the wild, wild west. I mean, you just didn't know, we did what we felt comfortable doing, but uh, other people certainly did what they felt comfortable doing. It's, it's That's right, world. that's right. So let's, that leads me into vaccines. You know, there's been a lot of businesses, both big and small, basically saying, come with a card. And um, I'm just sort of curious, is, is your organization taking a stance on that? Have your members sort of said to you, we would like you to take the lead? Where, where is everybody on that this week? Yeah, I think that they're not asking us necessarily to take a lead because they, um, they very much value the autonomy they have to make the decisions that they may need to for their establishment. There was a period a couple of weeks ago where they really wanted the city in DC to take the lead to say, you know, for the mayor to say that we are going to require that every single business require guests coming in and employees working to be vaccinated. Um, they're some hiccups and legalities that you have to consider in mandating anything like that. But then of course the city was hoping that federal government would do that. So everybody was somewhat like waiting for others. As always, our operators kind of took it into their own hands mm -hmm. and we have a mixed bag of what people are doing. There's no doubt that restaurants are exploring the idea of fully vaccinated spaces whether you are an employee who works here or whether you're a guest who wants to dine here, we're seeing more of that. I'm getting more questions by more operators asking platforms that may be more credible than others or tools. And that's really where we're focused. We're focused on finding tools, vetting those applications, seeing what other cities are doing um, with big events, but also in smaller business settings. And um, that's where I want to stay. I want to give people tools to make those decisions and they can decide. Now, if it becomes a mandate and now that the you know, FDA approved Pfizer, right? Yeah. If it, the momentum is there, I would hope that there is something nationally so that cities and locales don't have to make these kind of decisions. Sure. Um, I've always felt that way with any kind of big policy issue, like let it happen on a larger level so that 
there's continuity, but I don't necessarily know one way or another, you know, what should or should not be mandated when it comes to this. I just want people to get vaccinated. Right. Just get vaccinated. Sign me up for the booster. You want to give me the booster every day? I'll get it every day. I don't care. I'm totally with you. Every day. Um, but you brought up a really good point because for the Rammies, yes, for September 19th and are still a go. Um, everybody needs to be vaccinated and you have instituted this uh, tech, uh, this technology, which I, I love. And yeah. I, so can we talk about that a little bit? Cause I've yeah. downloaded it and now I have it in my wallet on my iPhone. So, right, exactly. It's amazing. And yeah. I'm sure there's lots of other people doing similar things. Yeah. I took pictures of my card. So I would always have it on me, but now this is a like a certified program. Absolutely, Nick. It's so important. So I'll say a couple things here. One is 1000% for the Rammies. First of all, ticket, nobody can reserve tickets after August 30th. Hmm. And the real reason there is because we need that time to further verify, control the crowd, make sure we're creating a very safe space of all vaccinated guests. Mm -hmm. But I think what's important to know is that it's guests, it's sponsors, it's vendors, it's individuals working the event. Everyone is required to be vaccinated. I mean, right. this is really creating a safe space environment. Um, and it's not verification just with a picture of your card. You have to go through the process. You have to go to the link. You have to use Vax Yes and upload your information and allow for that time to be able to get to stage two verification where you then add it to your wallet. And that is what you are showing to gain admittance into the event. And we felt strongly about this. I shared this with you. Now we've been talking about this for a couple months. It feels like a couple months, maybe a month, but we are the industry that cannot afford steps backwards. Right. Like we are all responsible small business operators people who have gone through a hell of a year and a half. And this has to be everything we need it to be in terms of controlled environment, understanding that there's still some kind of risk, right? Even with fully vaccinated folks. So we're really going to stay tried and true on this. We really hope people, we know that our operators are last minute folks in terms of trying to get tickets and trying to secure attendance, but we've been trying to push it out every couple of days. Please get your tickets. Please reserve it by August 30th. No exceptions, fully vaccinated. So that once people do know they're coming, they have a couple of weeks to make sure that they have their vax verification in place so that you're not having to do everything all at once and feel overwhelmed. It's really important. No, I think that makes um, a ton of sense. And, you know, next time we get together, we'll talk about sort of what, what the feel of the gala is going to be like and Completely. what's going to be happening and how you have it situated so that people feel 
you know, as safe as possible. Yeah. And Nick, if I could add on the Vax Yes piece, the application, what's great about it is that a lot of time was put in to vet the application, walk through, make sure it's user friendly, that it's not daunting, but also to understand where it is universally accepted. Mm -hmm. And we found that it is an application that many cities are using and many businesses and industries are using to be able to gain admittance into their events. And while there are probably five or six of them out there, we're also sharing with our operators that if you choose to go to an all-vax model with your restaurant, this is the kind of application that can be used. So try it out for the Rammies and then see um, how it can work for your operation. Well, I, as a user of it, I love it. It was Good. easy to do. It took no time um, and uh, and I'm verified. And now it's in my wallet on my iPhone. And to me, that just, it's another level of comfort and ease to know, because, you know, my card is getting tattered and I'm yeah. getting nervous about it. Like the ink, you know, disappearing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I love it. I think it's a brilliant idea. And I, I love that you guys are doing it. It makes, I think it makes sense for next steps. It's a, it, I did not understand when we got vaccinated, not to go down a rabbit hole, why there wasn't some universal database then. Like I didn't, I didn't understand, like we, we have the technology. I never understood it, but never, anyway. never okay. just remind everybody where to go for the Rammies, please. Yeah. So you go to the Rammies.org, um, but you, it's September 19th, Sunday, September 19th. Tickets um, can be reserved up until August 30th at midnight, actually not at midnight, 11.59 p.m. Mm -hmm. So last call, everyone. Takes yeah. a few days to kind of get it together. So this is the few days notice. Excellent. All right, Kath, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, as I said at the top of the show, Amanda McClements is a longtime friend of mine. We've known each other for over 15 years, which is hard to believe. Um, and she is the woman behind Salt and Sundry, uh, which is a massive retail store here in the DC metro area. Um, it was all her own idea and she launched it and uh, really took over. She's really known as a entrepreneur and innovator in the DC market. So um, I'm thrilled to have you join me today and get to see your pretty face. How are you, Amanda? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you. Well, so for those who maybe aren't familiar with Salt and Sundry or have seen it uh, and maybe not been in, let's give a little background on sort of the initial concept of Salt and Sundry and how it's evolved over the last, I can't believe I'm saying this, 10 years. Yeah, we'll be heading into our, our 10th year after this fall. Um, so we, I opened the first shop back in 2012 in Union Market and my, my inspiration and my hope was really to help take some of the intimidation out of entertaining at home. You know, I, like you mentioned at the top of the show, had been a food writer and worked in that world for a while um, and just really realized how much people felt like they needed to have, um, you know, the right things or, um, 
you know, fancy china or something. Oh, I could never throw a dinner party. And I was so, I was so interested in that because I always loved, even when I was living in like a tiny studio apartment and serving people on my coffee table, um, you know, taking care of people and, and hosting people. So that was like the kernel um, that Salt and Sundry started in my mind percolating with. Um, and since then we've grown, um, you know, to a, you know, a lifestyle gift, home goods shop. We um, support, you know, more than 200 um, independent designers, brands, and makers. Um, the vast majority of those are women-owned businesses. Um, we have a really wonderful collection of BIPOC artists, authors, uh, makers as well that we've been um, really focused on promoting. So it's, it, you know, it took on a bigger a bigger purpose than just the the tabletop entertaining um, piece. You know, we've got jewelry and um, pillows and textiles. And yeah, caftans. Yeah. yeah. So it's really, I mean, if I if I want to own it, it's it's in the shop. So. But I think that's what's so great about it that you know it evolved when you started Salt and Sundry. Were you more hardline about what you thought it should be as opposed to what it is today, you know, as, as far as like you just said, I mean, if I want it, others probably do. So I want to carry it. Whereas did you think initially, no, I, I just, it needs to be entertaining only or this only. Did you have a, did you have more hard lines in the beginning? Yeah, I think, I think I wanted it to be clear what the concept was and not having any experience in retail other than a job when I was 15 at a sporting goods store. Um, you know, I was worried. I was like, a little different. Yeah, a little different. Um, you know, I was worried that like, would people get it? So, you know, we were, yeah, it was much more focused on the entertaining tableware, um, throwing a great dinner party. You know, we had a lot of small batch uh, food products, um, but I, but I knew going into it that we needed to be able to adapt to whatever people were really asking us for. Um, and, you know, that was where I remember when we started carrying jewelry for the first time. And it was like, how is, how does that relate to the original mission or purpose? Um, and it's like, well, you know, it, it, gotta it get well, you gotta get yeah. dressed, entertain. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So I, I knew going in that we needed to be flexible and be able to respond. Um, and, you know, DC, like you and I both have watched the the restaurant scene evolved so massively in you know the early mid 2000s and I still think we're underserved when it comes to retail so salt and sundry has um, become a bit of like a miniature department store so you know we've got a kids section we've got the jewelry and the caftans you've got the the home goods the books um, so it you know we're we're we can't be everything to everybody but we we certainly try to squeeze in um, you know, some of the most compelling categories we can into the spaces that we have. It's Industry Night with Mickey Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. You started in Union Market. You were one of the original, uh, the OGs uh, at that space. Um, and, and in a time when Union Market was not anywhere like what it is now i mean it was the only structure there i mean it was a built it was a real if we build it will they come moment and people came in droves how did that inform your experience in retail and help you make decisions when you opened other stores and other concepts 
Well, I, I will say it was, um, you know, it's not every day that you get an opportunity um, for a sort of build it and they will come. Um, we certainly didn't take that for granted or assume that that was going to be the outcome. You do not know what's going to happen until you open your doors. I mean, no matter how long you've been in a business, how many places you've opened, you, you just can't predict what's going to happen. Um, so I think yeah, it was it was a unique and rare opportunity that the, the city was clearly really excited to have this, you know, artisan food hall with a lot of names that people had come to know and love, you know, bartenders and restaurant owners and um, food purveyors. Um, but but it was a you know, it, it you can't replicate that everywhere. Um, and so, you know, it was a it was a I feel really fortunate that we started I mean I remember that first day um we opened the doors and there was a line outside and I that was beyond my wildest dream I mean I'm I am a constant worry wart and was like well we you know maybe it'll take a couple years for people to get in the habit of coming over here but um I just feel really fortunate that that's what that that launch looked like mm -hmm. and then how, where did Little Leaf come into the mix because you opened how many years later, two spaces at like weeks apart from each other? Yeah, don't ever do that. Um, <laughs> any, anyone, restaurants, pro tip. just a pro tip. There we yeah. go. Okay. Um, so yeah, we were we were sort of on ended up, you know, I had lived in the Logan Circle 14th Street neighborhood for a long time. When I first thought of Salt and Sundry, I thought it would be here. 14th Street had always been um, one of the few clusters of independently owned local businesses, you know, Miss Pixies, there was Go Mama Go, Pulp, um, Redeem, um, a bunch of these, you know, retailers who had, had sort of been um, mainstays in the independent business world. Um, so I'm thinking that's where Salt and Sundry goes. The union market opportunity came up. It was an awesome chance to be a part of this um, exciting project. So that was why I ended up launching there in 2012. So it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to have a shop across town, Logan Circle, 14th Street. An opportunity came up two years later, a little bit sooner than I was ready, but we were just starting to kind of get our feet under us. Um, and that was the little shop on S Street um, beside, you know, what is now what is Doi Moy now? Um, and it was too small, but I was I was nervous about, you know, getting this uh, my first, you know, Union Market has built in foot traffic because there's a lot of us in this setting. This was my first like real um, storefront and, you know, out in the wild. So it's, it was a small space. We launched, we crammed all the sundries, all the salt into the tiny space um, and really realized it was it was doing really well, but we realized we really needed more space. Two years later, that was 2014, two years later, 2016, we had an opportunity to move to what is now our larger space facing 14th Street. But I loved that small space on S and didn't want to give it up. Meanwhile, we were hearing from so many of our customers who were trying to buy the plants and like terrariums and anything that we put out on the floor at Salt and Sundry. Um, and, you know, I kind of noticed early on that there was this pent up demand for, you know, people who are living in the city, they don't want to get in the car and drive to a big box garden center out, you know, off of a highway somewhere, they wanted to be able to come and get some cool plants for their apartment. Um, and that was where Little Leaf was born. Well, Little Leaf is, uh, I mean, it's an amazing 
little space, but it's always packed. And it's, and it's, still, and it's still too small. Like it's such a cute space. We love it. We've got that corner with the garden out front and it's got great light, but like it is, it is a little monster to keep it full because we get, you know, we get wiped out, uh, which is a good problem, but yes. um, it's, yeah. it's a teeny, teeny space. It is amazing. I mean, that I feel like talking about plants is a whole other show because the explosion of like plant moms and plant dads and people who like are just raising plants in as a part of their living space. That that whole sort of culture has changed drastically. Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. I was no, I was just gonna say. I mean, back in 2016, like I, I, I loved plants and I knew that it was going to be a trend, but I mean, I had no idea what, um, you know, what an important part, especially of young people, um, you know, that, that becoming something, I mean, you just dropped your, you know, daughter off at college for the first time. And like, I, as an 18 year old going to college, wasn't thinking about plants. Now people are coming in and showing us their dorm rooms and saying, this is what I want my dorm room to look like. Right. Exactly. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing to watch. Well, and I advise anybody to start with a plant before you get a cat. I mean, yeah. just say, yes, <laughs> take care of a plant. You can take care of an animal. Start yes. slow, build yes. up. Yes. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's go back now because now that you are an established retailer, um, S retailer S, I don't know mm-hmm. what we call you. Um, so now that you're established, you have multiple locations, um, the pandemic hits and it hits it hits retail in a way that is astounding right especially for i mean you, you weren't online at the time so what did you sure. everybody thinks that we've we've had an online shop since the beginning but okay. that's a, that's kind of a separate note because it but it because it is something that people have a huge misconception that that's a big part of business okay. even the big retailers it is a it's a it's a very different business than i think most people have but we can we can talk about that yeah, well, no, but I think it's a good point. It is a separate business, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like opening another store mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. So what, how did you go about deciding what you were going to do when foot traffic dried up initially? Um, well, we ran around like um, panicked, uh, crazy people for the first, first couple you know, days. Um, we all thought we were going to be closed for two weeks. You know, that was like flatten the curve Two two weeks. We cried. We we're like, oh, this is so crazy. What what's happening in the world? I mean, I don't think anybody anybody saw um, how well, maybe maybe some epidemiologists out there saw how long this was oh, going to be. Um, they're like, yes, we did. Um, no, but we we basically started the, the shops were closed. You know, everyone was asked to shut down, which was the right thing to do. Um, we started pulling as much inventory as we could out of the physical shops over to our warehouse, the sunroom, um, which I was really, really grateful that we had because it's a big space where we could work in kind of isolated, socially distanced teams. You know, we had like team A, team B. So, you know, we were working with um, minimal people. So we were able to keep the e-commerce business running out of the warehouse. Um, and our regular DC customers were supporting us online. There was a real outpouring of support in March and April. Um, we did, you know, record online sales, not overall sales. Our sales were definitely, um, you know, catastrophically impacted. But that people were, people knew that if unless they spent their money at, 
got takeout at restaurants, bought gift cards. You know, there was this really beautiful, like, groundswell of support. Um, and, you know, it's interesting thinking about where, you know, in a year and a half later, um, you know, people, I think, assume that everything's like hunky dory and that business is back to back to usual. But, you know, when you start talking to, to small business owners, it's, it is a mixed bag. Some people have done really well. I mean, you obviously heard how well Amazon did. Um, right. But it's, you know, there's a lot of disparity in, in what, what kind of businesses did well and what and what didn't. Um, and, you know, we are, uh, at the end of the day, we are, we are a, a, an aesthetically driven, you know, brick and mortar business where people want to come in, they want to take their time, they want to touch, they want to see the products. Um, and what we need is for people to feel comfortable and safe doing that. And that continues to be a challenge. I think, you know, a month or two ago, we all thought, great, we, the vaccine is out. This is, this is it. We had a lot of optimism and now, you know, the mask mandates are back. And um, I think people are facing down a lot of uncertainty again. Um, but yeah, I mean, the online piece can, can support, you know, small businesses in that way, but it, it cannot replace the type of traffic that you get in healthy, good times, you know, of people flowing into your store on a Saturday, you're providing hospitality, um, people are discovering your products, um, interacting with things. So, so yeah, that's, that was a roundabout way of it. Uh, no, but I, I get what you're saying. And I mean, so, you know, you bring up the vaccine and, uh, you know, how everybody thought that was going to change. What about for your staff. I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of talk about staff shortages in the restaurant industry, but I know it parlays to the retail industry as well. I mean, it's not in a vacuum. So how did that affect you? Did lots of people just disappear? You know, we've been really lucky that we were able to maintain our, our core team. You know, a lot of our part-timers who weren't necessarily relying on, um, you know, their weekend job with us to to support their um, lives were like, hey, no problem. Like, I don't, I'm not really into working retail right now. Um, so that was really understanding in the early days. Um, but that, I mean, that has been probably finances aside, the number one stress for, for me as a business owner is you want your teams to feel supported. You want them to feel safe. You want them to feel happy when they come to work. And it's really, really hard to um, to create and support that environment when we are in the midst of a pandemic. And you know, you're asking to function. We have to have our doors open. Um, you know, to for a restaurant to function, you have to have servers waiting on people without masks. That's somebody cooking in the back of the house. Somebody's got to make the food. Right. Um, and what you know, to have the health of your business and the health of your community and your team often in conflict is just a really crappy position to be in. It is. It's terrible. But, you know, it's the, the more we learn, it's like, okay, we're, if masks are the answer and vaccinations, you know, eliminate most of the, the worst illnesses and we, we, you know, we feel more comfortable operating where we are, but it's still, it's very, very stressful for the floor teams to enforce mask mandates. You know, you're talking about vaccination requirements for bars, restaurants, clubs, you have to have a door person. Right. Um, these are all things that, that are not a normal part of the way that most of us do business. Um, 
So, you know, it's just added pressure and added stress on, on your people who are, are working in a public space. Well, I mean, you do bring up a good point, and uh, we did not discuss it with Kathy, but yes, restaurants can say you need to be vaccinated to get in, but who's checking? And who are you putting in charge of that? And who has to deal with the people mm -hmm. who, even though when you, it's harder probably for retail than it is for a restaurant, because let's say at a restaurant, you have to make a reservation. Maybe they right. go to reserve only. You don't have that luxury. Exactly. So, you get that. That's it's a yeah. I was I was talking to somebody about it the other day, and they were like, "Why don't you know? Are you going to require vaccines for people to enter your store?" And you know, we require masks, which is something that we we did even when we didn't have to. Um, but you know, I was like, "Well, it's it's." You think about a place like Nine Thirty Club, like they have bouncers built into the way they do business. How they do it? Your bag is going to get checked. Your ID is going to get checked. You know, those guys, those guys at the door are not messing around. And so that that's like a it's baked into the entry. Um, and having to show some kind of vaccination thing isn't that big of a change from from the way they are operating. For us to add like a bouncer at the door of Salt and Sundry is. A, is is a weird thing and you know we we had to create that when we were doing limited limited uh, occupancy we had you know we had to schedule um a team member to right. monitor the door um and basically kind of be a bouncer at the door which is you know just it's it's a tough job it is a tough job and it's a lot because a lot of the people who work for you are young yeah. and that's a lot of Pressure. And I mean, I would hope that most of the people who shop at Salt and Sundry or Little Leaf are like the aesthetic, you know, of your product. But um, I'm sure they have to deal with some pretty um, unhappy people. Yeah, I mean, and like you said earlier, I mean, we're we're lucky to be, you know, in DC, where for the most part, um, people are really supportive and really compliant with what you ask of them and are sensitive to, to a business's needs. But you know, you, you, there's always that one person and it just, it takes one person to ruin, you know, a day. day. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. Make them feel, you know, threatened or unsafe or like they had a confrontation that wasn't pleasant. So I'm always like, give a, give a retail or restaurant worker a hug from a distance. Um, tell them how much you appreciate them because it's, you know, it's a difficult job. Well, so let's talk about your growth because even Aside from all of this, you've decided to pop up in Bethesda. You've gone outside the DC zip codes. Um, Hello, Montgomery County. Yes, I mean, was that something you were, it's been a while, so you've been around for a while. Were you, I, I, I know personally that, you know, people have tried to get you to go to different regions. What was it about this moment that made it finally attractive to you? Yeah, I think, like you said, we get we get a lot of offers on you know on a weekly basis to come here, there, everywhere, um, and you you really have to protect your bandwidth when you're a small business. Your team you know only has so many hours in the day, and you know as a as a founder and and the director, you only have so many hours in the day. So we we've always been really intentional about um, the choices that we make for expansion and. Um, Bethesda has always been appealing to us. We know we have a lot of customers there. We really like the, the local business community there. Um, and an opportunity came up to um, take a space for sort of a pop-up period um, of time, which was a great, you know, I think retailers now really need flexibility. Um, you know, we all had to 
battle with landlords um, and and try to beg for flexibility when it came to rent when we were all closed you know in this pandemic year so the the idea that you know um you can have a flexible situation come test out the market and if it works out great um so yeah so we're we're excited to be in bethesda um people seem really excited that we're there it's great to hear from customers who are like i'm so glad i don't have to come down to dc and try to find parking anymore um well, so yes. Beauty of Bethesda, there's an actual parking lot. I'm oh like, my gosh, parking, parking yeah. No place to park. Well, Union Market has parking, but 14th Street. Sort of. <laughs> it's getting tougher. But yeah, so we'll we'll be um we'll be on Bethesda Lane through at least February. Um, so we'll be there through the holidays, which we're excited to, you know, I mean, part of our our mission and our purpose is to to share what we do, share the makers who we support with as many people as possible. So this is helping us, you know, reach um you know, in really in our backyard, it's, it's, I can pop up to Bethesda, you know, without, I'm not getting on a plane and flying to California to check on another location. Um, so it was, it was a logical, um, you know, opportunity right now. And did you have to sort of change any of your inventory for the area or did you feel that the customer, the customer would you didn't need to get certain special things just for that area for people who maybe didn't know salt and sundry or had heard of it and never been downtown right no it's a it's a great question we we haven't made any massive changes and you know we're only we're coming up on exactly one month so we're going to do sort of an analysis and um you know our our team up there constantly talking to people um so we're really looking to hear from from the shoppers up there if they're looking for things that are different you know it's a it's a very clothing fashion heavy um stretch of course we're across from serena and lily which is which is home you know furnishings and um so we haven't made any big changes and we're hoping that our product mix resonates um but we're we're excited for you know there's a lot more um you know, teenage shoppers in Bethesda, um, you know, kids, kids running they around like that to, school. They like to walk around that area <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, there'll probably be things that we test or that we try out um, because, you know, the, the demographic might be a little bit different. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Let's talk about a little bit some of these um, designers that you carry that are so unique and specific to Salt and Sundry that you really can't find anywhere. Like, who are some of your favorites that you're carrying yourself right now? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that that is my one of my favorite parts of running the business is scouting and finding these incredible creative humans out in the world who are trying to make a living doing the beautiful work that they do mm -hmm. um we um someone who i've had a great relationship since the early days when we first met is um nizozi of uh by nizozi uh studio she grew up in the maryland um area and um has um a beautiful african textile line um these beautiful batik pillows um different uh mud cloths and things um and she's also celebrating or she's in her 10th year of business, which is just awesome to see, you know, a woman owned business be able to, to thrive and, and make it through. Um, but those are those are the stories that I get you know, most excited about sharing with folks, because, 
you know, oftentimes you can go to a big box store and find a knockoff of these items for a lot cheaper, but um, the cost of those goods is often hidden way down the supply chain. But um, you know, we've we've had we've had some. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of work to keep the small batch. Like we, our products change a lot because you know she might do a run of a certain textile, and when it's gone, it's gone, which is right. which is exciting too. Or like ceramic artists right now are super hot, super in demand. You know, big beautiful mugs that make you happy when you're sitting at home drinking your coffee or your tea. Um, but they're you know they're often one person with one kiln and. Um, so, you and know, one that, wheel, and one yeah, wheel. Yeah. So it's, you know, we we love hearing. I mean, we have we have a really strong customer base that cares about that and they want to know where their products are made, they want to know where their clothes are made. Um, and they want to know that they're spending their money in a place that has, you know, a real impact on on makers and artists. Well, I think um socially conscious shoppers mm -hmm. sense, right? And I assume with um climate change and reusable items and recycled items, I'm sure that's really fitting into a lot of your makers mm -hmm. um, that you carry. Yeah, and it's, it's again, that, that's always been important to me and you have to hope that, that enough other folks care and might spend a little bit more um, to get that, that quality piece that is not gonna be something that breaks or you get rid of in um, a year. Um, but it is, you know, we're up against, the Amazons and and whatnot of the world that don't that don't necessarily need to worry about those stories. Um, so you know we we rely on people being like you said conscious conscious shoppers and making really intentional decisions. Well, I you know it's what do you see? I don't want to make you. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but how do you see the next steps for your business? Let's just say for the next year. Um, I, I mean, it's it's so kooky out there. I don't yeah. know what comes next, but how are you, how do you plan ahead? Given that it's so kooky out there, what are you doing next? That um, that is a very hard question. I think I think the fact that all of our business lives flashed before our eyes a year ago um, certainly it was very sobering and and makes you. Uh, you know, a little skittish and a little, a little overly cautious. Um, I've always struggled with that in, in good times. Um, but I think you have to think, okay, hopefully we're going to get through this. Um, people's confidence will return. People will gather again. Um, we will heal as a community um, and as a, as a world. Um, so you, you have to be optimistic. I mean, if you're, if it's all doom and gloom, then it's like, well, just like shut shut your doors what right you like you know we have to plan you know we have to buy things sometimes six months out um so you know we always have to kind of keep our eye on the horizon um but no i'm i'm excited to kind of see you know where the pop-up route you know i think a lot of retailers were starting to do that before the pandemic you know pick a place that you love and that feels like you your vibe resonates and go set up shop for a couple months and and introduce yourself to more people um you know, that was that was a model we saw a lot of retailers doing to support their online presence because um, people really need well, to you think it makes even from a real estate perspective and i mean i'm not in real estate but even from a real estate perspective it does make sense it mm -hmm. makes sense for them as well you know it doesn't work if you sign somebody and then they can't survive right you know yeah and i 
again, I, I don't know that we've seen the long-term effects of what ha what has happened in this past 18 months when it comes to commercial real estate or kind of industry norms. But I mean, I, I certainly hope that that things will become more advantageous for small businesses. Um, because well, the, the I, I do feel like the people, and I've said this a thousand times on this show and talking to different restaurateurs, and I've had some real estate people on the show and they sort of play like, oh, we're there for them. But I, I, the cost per square foot in DC is out of control. There is nothing that backs it up. And until everybody's at the table discussing it in a realistic way, it just, I, I think that's, I think it's the biggest problem. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it, you look at like Manhattan, um, they were already having a real crisis of vacancies, you know, places that were robust retail corridors. Um, you know, you could you could do hours long panels. There are books written on this on what is happening in retail. Is it that people aren't shopping in person? That's not really true. Right. Um, but but yeah, what what is it about the shifting sands of retail? Um, where are the challenges and where are the opportunities? And I think being small makes you a bit more agile and nimble to adapt to whatever is coming. You know, if you're um, Barney's or something, you're you're not that agile and you're not that that nimble. And so I think that's why we've seen some of those bigger. Um, well, I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down because you know I think when you talk about those kinds of stores, Barney's was originally a clothing, salt, and sundry, and then you know just expanded at such a rate and took such massive real estate places, you know, and, and also wasn't selling unique things. You could all buy the same, same designers, same things, which was not traditionally Barney's, mm -hmm. you know, they lost their way, whatever it, yeah. it happens. We saw it with Dean and DeLuca. I mean, we could, you and I both could name lots of retailers that at one point in time we loved, but then, you know, they lost their, I don't know if it was their passion or they got bought out or what happened, but then it was all about the big retail space mm -hmm. and not being able to pay the rent. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a scary time to be in this business. There is no, you know, um, no other way to, to paint that. Um, it, you know, it is a, it is a business that's changing quickly, like a lot of industries. I mean, um, so it's, you know, you just have to stay optimistic and, and have faith that you can adapt or change or shift, you know, in what, in whatever capacity that, you know, whatever form that takes. So, I mean, for me, it's like, everything is on the table. Um, you know, and I just try to think as flexibly as possible. Well, I think that's the best way to be at this moment because you have no other choice, but being flexible obviously is key. <laughs> Amanda McClements, Salt and Sundry, please tell everybody where they can find you online and on Instagram. You can check us out online at shopsaltandsundry.com. And we are Salt and Sundry on Instagram. Um, and of course, our three locations are now Bethesda Row Pop-Up, uh, Union Market, and our 14th Street shop with our little sister, Little Leaf, up, up the street at 14th and S. So definitely come and take a peek. And I am going to give a shout out to the Sunroom, which if you want to do an event, you mm -hmm. could. <laughs> Indeed. Fabulous. Yes, we have our great, our great warehouse event space over in the Eckington neighborhood called the Sunroom. Um, and you can, you can find that online as well, the Sunroom DC.
Well, that was another incredible show. I want to thank you so much for joining me, Nikki Nellis, on Industry Night. Uh, if you have not checked out Amanda McClemens, Salt and Sundry, and her Little Leaf, and her Sunroom, I don't know what you're waiting for. Please check it out uh, and support local. Our local restaurants, our local retail, it's all very important. And don't forget what Kathy Hollinger had to say about masking up and getting vaccinated when it comes to our industry. And of course, if you're interested in going to the Rammies, now's your moment. You better sign up. Uh, again, I want to thank you all for joining me, Nikki Nellis, here on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Please click subscribe so you can tune in whenever you want and follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And lastly, don't forget to check out the listareyouwanted.com, the online e-zine that has every food and wine event happening in the D.C. metro area. I thank you once again for joining me, and please have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun D.C.